What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artist of Data Science Open Office Hours. Just getting it kicked off right now, waiting on people to join the room. But while people are joining the room, I just want to go ahead and take a moment to talk about what it means to be a mentor in data science. So we open office hours the same way every single time. Um, and that's just reading from a post that Giuseppe Bonacarso had put up um, maybe a few weeks ago at this point. But what is a mentor, right? Neither professor nor master, just a friend that could help support you, not the repository of all knowledge. Um, and I don't place myself in either the professor nor master category. Uh, mentor is also not a substitute for books, Stack Overflow, or whatever else you can use to autonomously solve your own problem, right? I'm here to help by sharing my experience and maybe a little bit of my knowledge, um, of which there's not a lot. Uh, I'm also not going to influence any important decisions that you have. Um, discussions are definitely essential, but... Um, we're going to be talking through things with you. I'm also going to ask a lot of questions, right? So you can think of this as a friendly relationship. I'm going to be pushing you to imagine different scenarios, discuss, criticize, and expand them. And, um, you know, try to be as helpful as possible. So we had a couple of awesome episodes released this week. Um, on Monday, we had an episode released with uh, Emily Robinson and Jacqueline Nolis, the authors of Building a Career in Data Science. Definitely check out that interview if you haven't had a chance yet and definitely go out and get that book. It is an amazing book and the interview with them was a lot of fun. First time I've ever uh, done an interview with two people um, and it was just a lot of fun. Um, and, I just listened to that. Oh, yeah. interrupting a thing. I just listened to that yesterday. How was it? I loved that interview. Yeah, it was a really, really good interview, man. Yeah, it was like, oh, this is like real life. Like, this is how managers think. This is how business people are. And they just felt like everything they were saying, they said better than I could have ever dreamt of saying it. Like, they made it so simple. Yeah, super, super relatable, man. Really, really enjoyed that episode. Um, Can you drop the name of the book one more time? Yeah, it's uh, Building a Career in Data Science. And that's... Uh, by Manning Publication. And if you go to Manning Publication at, and you enter the code ARTISTS20, A-R-T-I-S-T-S-20, you'll get 20% off that book. Um, if that one doesn't work, try P-O-D-D-A-R-T, PodArt20. Um, but if neither of those works, just email me. I'll get you the code. I have it somewhere. Uh, and yeah, so that was Monday, great episode. And then on Thursday, released an episode uh, that was an introduction to Stoicism, speaking with a author of a, a couple of books on Stoicism. Um, I thought that was a really good episode. So hopefully you guys got a chance to check that out. Right now in Office Hours, we've got a few people hanging out. we got Carlos, Mark, and Hasib. How's it going, guys? It's been going well. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Just uh, got done with an interview just a few minutes before this. I was interviewing mm -hmm. Kate Strachney for the podcast. So look for that one uh, in the near future. You got everybody on the show, man. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> don't, does nobody ever say no? Everyone's just like, of course. Or do you just like not get any answers if they're saying no? I got a few people that said no. Charles Duhigg said no. You don't gotta call him out. You don't call him out. <laughs> James Clear said no. These are like New York Times bestselling authors. So uh, <laughs> the the big name said no, but uh, it's all good. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, yeah. Yo, Mark, I never met you outside of LinkedIn comments. What's up, man? Yeah, how you doing? It's good to hey. see you put a face to yeah to, to the person. The great comments. Yeah, I've been getting Mark on the LinkedIn game. I'm like, Mark, nice. you know too much. You gotta start posting stuff. I think you are. I think I see you. Yeah, I was, stuff. I was uh, posting a lot and then I got a job and then got really busy <laughs> again. I'm trying to post at least once a week. What's that joke? It's like Twitter is boring until noon when all the unemployed people. <laughs> and it's like, that's so rude. <laughs> LinkedIn's like always constantly busy. Like I feel I like there's always, always stuff happening. I, I actually am starting to think it's content saturated, honestly. Yeah. 
in oh the beginning God. honestly i would say sometimes i used to get depressed you know seeing all the posts i i felt like you know i used to underestimate myself seeing all you know seeing those posts but uh, you know when i started to study more in deep uh, then i got pretty much comfortable with stats and yeah. others Talk to me yeah, about that, man. I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you mean by uh, underestimating yourself? Because I feel like this is actually a phenomenon yeah, that happens. Because every, every time I used to see the post, uh, there was something new. And I felt like, you know, uh, I felt like there are so many things and I don't even know these things that how am I going to, you know, like yeah. uh, break into this field. And when I used to see the jobs posted, uh, they used to require a whole bunch of things and out of those, uh, you know, uh, skills, I used to like see that, oh, I only have like two or three of them. So how, how, how I'm going to manage, you know, the rest of them. So then after, you know, like following a couple of data science influencers, they actually, you know, like put this thing out that, uh, that these recruiters, sometimes they, they don't put a realistic picture, uh, you know, that's yeah. probably the most like debilitating part. Like, I think if I started looking if I was just shifted four years forward to today, starting out, I'd be like, what is PyTorch? What is like Keras? What is Kubernetes? What is like, there's just so many of them. And no one tells you that seven of them are just different flavors of the same thing. Exactly. Like, no one tells yeah. you that. You I agree. They're all different. And you're like, I'm mm-hmm. never going to do this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, like I make a point to ask, pretty much everybody who's in a hiring manager position, what they think about this phenomenon of uh, crazy job descriptions and pretty much all of them say the same thing. It's that it's typically not the data scientists themselves that are creating the job description. It's somebody in HR that's creating the job description and they're doing what anybody who doesn't know what they're doing would do. And that's go online and look at other stuff and Mm -hmm. paste bits and pieces of it. Well, I mean, the context there, though, too, is that, like, the HR people who are, like, extremely busy, the best recruiters and all that stuff, they're swamped. They have 55 roles open. So it falls to the junior HR staff and the junior recruiters to do, like, the grunt writing for Mm -hmm. the senior person actually post out there and manage. So it's, like, they're not even being set up to, like, succeed in some ways because they're just so overwhelmed. They're just, like, let's just get another wreck just – I don't know. Yeah. I would not want to be in their shoes, man. Yeah. Especially right I, now. I write, I write all my own job postings. Like, I mean, haven't done it in a while, but the last few that I've done, I made sure I wrote it myself just to keep them realistic. And then with respect to just like the stuff that you need to learn, I think beyond a few core fundamental basics, everything else you can learn when you need to learn it on demand. Like you don't need to know everything and then start applying. You know what I mean? Like, that that's like a really unreasonable expectation I think for anybody to have. Um, so just it's because of the uh, the crunch, man. Like after two thousand eight, everyone who was twenty two through twenty five all got squished together career wise, and then like our you know our age group kind of graduated and we're crunched. So it's just like the market for zero to four years of experience is just full, and then people with like five to ten are transitioning, so they're now entering the pool like. The glut is all at the bottom. I actually think some people who are transitioning need to think a little higher up and go for senior roles. It's like, oh, you've been a software engineer for 10 years and you're picking up data science. Why are you trying to start at the bottom, bro? That's like the worst spot. Yeah, yeah. You have transferable skills that you can uh, move up. Uh, but Hasib here has got a question. So yeah, Hasib, go for it, man. Uh, yeah, so um, my question was kind of related to a methodological review of a problem I was gonna, uh, I was going to solve, uh, and I started on it. So I was just wondering if uh, is this the wrong time to, uh, you know, like discuss that problem and the approach I followed, or like, so perfect time. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. So uh, I was. Uh, solving a data set uh, which was having a few features like when I say few features mean like uh, as compared to the bigger data set it was just having like eight to ten features and the outcome variable was continuous so uh, seeing that the outcome variables was continuous the first thing popped in my mind was that uh, it's a regression problem okay 
So, uh, so my first step was, you know, like starting from cleaning the data set, uh, validating each and everything, uh, you know, uh, seeing that everything is aligned. Uh, I won't be mentioning all of the steps which I taken, but I was just, you know, telling you the bigger part of the story that after the data cleaning, I uh, just went on to the exploratory data analysis just to see within each the variable, uh, do we have the variables following the Gaussian distribution or not? Do they require transformations and, you know, uh, log transformation or scale transformation? So Can I pause really quick? I just want, I just want to know two things really fast. You said that the, the, the dependent variable was continuous and they made it a regression problem. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily true. Um, and also, you might have a continuous dependent variable right now, but you might not actually be targeting that. You might have like, that might be an input into a function that is leading to your feature of interest. So like, oh, my revenue is really big. My revenue is going up and that's great. But what if your target is like revenue per employee or what if your target is, you know, above or below some growth target percentage. So just be careful, like, with like the dependent variable defining your problem too okay. soon. And then also you said Gaussian distribution for all the features. Like I don't, yeah, that, you, you said necessary. you're, yeah. yeah, you're sitting you're in a transform features. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, when you transform features, two things, you're transforming features that the, that's something you gotta be thinking about on purpose, do very purposefully. And two transforming features on a regression problem changes the definition and the unit of your coefficients. Mm -hmm. So you're like risking, destroying the interpretability so like you're like so you're layering like conflicting things i'm not saying you made any mistakes i do this stuff all the time too mm -hmm. but just as you're going along like what are the risks of this like yeah. choice what are the risks of this choice yeah perfect so Nothing uh, automatic. yeah so you why know? i didn't get that because uh, the intersect which i was solving it didn't have any information regarding what the columns or you know what the features are actually are like in real so uh, the target variable was named as Y, and the input variables were named as uh, var one, var two variable. Oh, is this variable. like a Kaggle competition or something? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was a Kaggle competition. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe be. I don't wanna be mean on this one. Mm -hmm. Kaggle competitions that are structured that way, like here's X's, here's Y. Please make the best model. Mm -hmm. Are not gonna teach you what you kind of need to learn. Yeah, like because that that's that's just such an automatic like question it's just if, if someone gave that at my job like carlos please predict why given x's i'd be like aws stage maker uh auto ml to 99 go like i wouldn't even use my brain on that problem so just be careful with kaggle and stuff like that because it's good for practicing syntax is good for practicing uh you know model choice selection and an eda it sounds like you did a lot of really good eda mm -hmm. like that's just not a real life. It's just, it's too far removed from real life. Here's a bunch of X's and a Y. That's too far away from real life, I would say. AWS has a lot of great data sets too for free that has some like real world messy data that's open source. Mm -hmm. That's really good. And then also because like, I think going on with the, like the Y, the Y values and stuff like that, I think a big part of like, at least for me, what I've seen for my work is like domain knowledge helps out so much. And so when things are, like this set as why you don't get that experience of like digging in, like searching, like what happened at this time or why is, why is it being structured this way? Um, and I think that's like a really useful skill that's helped me a little bit. Plus it limits your portfolio value. Like when you do the, when you're done and you put it on your GitHub, a recruiter can't use it. It's like, Oh, they predicted why really well. I wonder what why was. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so my question is, uh, so the approach which I'm following right now, is it, is, is it making any sense or like, is, is it the correct way? Uh, you know, because I'm, I have not been given any information regarding the variables and they, they have judges the name, uh, variable one, two, and the outcome variable name is a Y. So in this, this particular case, do you think it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, an appropriate approach to go with or like what else can be done? Like, what are your thoughts in this thing? I mean, for barring everything that was just said, which was all good points, it's just a toy data set. So mm -hmm. the way you're going to get the most bang for your buck in terms of performance is like feature engineering, right? Okay. Without labeled columns, it becomes very difficult to intelligently build out features. 
right? So mm-hmm. one thing you can do is just start taking ratios of a couple of features to build out some of that complexity, right? Like this is like, if I had a data set with just a bunch of variables that I did not know what they meant, like I would first, I would first not go with a linear model like at all. I would just do a tree-based regression. And then with that tree-based regression, like even before I fit it, I would try to, I would try to just start dividing columns and just see mean, what happens, right? Are you thinking cart specifically? Uh, not just cart. Like, I mean, you boosting, do a little bit of okay. add a boost, fair. gradient boost, extreme gradient boost, like any, any tree-based method. Um, just because linear models, you have to make a lot of assumptions. And yeah. I don't know if I'd be comfortable making assumptions when I have very little information about the data set. I think you did the right thing though, I would say in general, like in terms of like, I checked the distribution of each variable. You thought about transforming. You probably mm-hmm. shouldn't have in that case, but you thought like, it's a good question to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would, I would note though that transforming X's is probably something I would think of after thinking of transforming Y's. Like I would be like, okay, well, can I make this a binary classification problem and use logistic regression with some cutoff? Like that, that's probably how I would go. Um, but I think you did the right thing. I think something you didn't say you did was you didn't check to make sure the X's weren't linear combinations of other X's. Yeah. Um, that's something you really want to check just in general, because that's like the easiest violation in regression to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would just also add, lastly, you can um, do like random, t- you can do like tests. So you can mm-hmm. like correlate different columns and then mm-hmm. you can randomize a column and then check the correlation again. And what that'll tell you is, is like, it's not a significant sense, but it helps you gauge whether or not significance and correlation is actually going to help you. Because if you correlate two columns and it's like 23 and you're like, that sounds useful. Like in economics, that's like super good. And then you randomize it and you get 21. You're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just like hitting random lucky features and you need to find that out really quickly. You want to find out how quickly you're accidentally in like a random accident. Yeah. So after that, uh, you know, like I went on, uh, you know, uh, checking whether the assumptions are being satisfied. So I just wrote down like four or five five assumptions. uh, And I went to verify that uh, whether the assumptions are being satisfied or not. And then I found uh, there was multi-collinearity in the uh, in the variables, so I uh, went on with the regularization technique, and uh, yeah. So oh, yeah. again, regularization. Are you talking about ridge or lasso or both? I went for both judgments to check whether uh, you know my performance is increasing or not. And after that, I couldn't get uh, you know much of the performance because I found that lasso and ridge are both the family of linear regression. So uh, even the performance wasn't increasing because I thought that uh, we are still, you know, uh, make, uh, creating a bias in the model. So then I went. When you uh, say performance, for, what do you mean? Uh, coefficient of determination, R square. Okay, be careful. That goes up every yeah. time you add variables. Yeah. But keep, that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. So again, you're using regularization. The point of regularization is to help you to feature importance more yeah, so exactly. than it is to like be really, and really effective. Those features are not really, you know, uh, collinear, uh, you know, they are not associated with each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't even use a linear model. I would just use a tree-based, mm-hmm. especially yeah. in this case, flying blind. And because when you have a tree-based model, then you don't really care. Like multicollinearity is just whatever, right? Tree-based models mm-hmm. are, they don't really get affected too much by that. Um, but if you're trying to do some feature selection technique, then yeah, variance inflation factor, whatever, you can use mm-hmm. that to drop some some features yeah. if you want to. But Harpreet's dropping the real stats over here, guys. He's <laughs> he's talk, like he's saying things and I'm like, oh, I forgot that one. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. you, variance inflation factor is essentially the same thing checking for linear combinations, mm-hmm. right? That's pretty much the only way you'd have uh, multicollinearity is if you have mm-hmm. features that are linear combinations of each other. And various inflation factors, one way to check that. Um, but I would just, I would, I would start with a simple tree-based model, right? Like, do you have a baseline model? Like, what do you mm-hmm. have? Do you have a line in the sand right now to tell you that, okay, this performance metric is what I need to improve on? Get that first, right? So it looks like you've prepped your data set up 
like perfectly, I would say even before doing any type of transformations to your feature, leave the leave everything in its raw form, right? Mm-hmm. Fit a simple random forest, right? Mm-hmm. Don't tune any hyperparameters or anything and mm-hmm. determine what your metric is in that case. Now you have a baseline. Now you have a line in the sand, mm-hmm. right? Now you can say anything I do after this that is more complex than what I've done up to this point needs to do better than this. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time or heading in the wrong direction, right? Pre, have you used yeah. a predictive power score? I have not, no. Tell me this, about this. Uh, this package this guy wrote came out in Python. It was the only reason I ever had to learn Python. I was like, I do code review to Python, no problem. I, it's very easy to read. But this is like the thing that actually made me use it. So I had to download Python, three point whatever, and predictive power score uses, um, it's like a really basic decision tree, but the idea is that instead of, exactly, yeah, Mark's saying, isn't that the article that says like, no, it's the, it's the article that says correlation's bad, and they're right. Oh, correlation. Okay. Yeah, correlation's bad because it uh, assumes symmetric relationships, and predictive power score does not assume symmetric relationships. Mm-hmm. So what it does is it uses like a very basic decision tree just to say like this feature is this level of predictive on this feature, and it's asymmetric, so like, X cannot be 0.3 on Y, but then Y is 0.05 on X. That's super interesting because, like, it's like a better correlation table, pretty much. Um, yeah. And that's that. and that's something that's like it's a one-liner in Python. And for that exact problem, you're like, I don't know what these things are. Like that, just it'll just jumpstart you like so far into like picking features and investigating specific features. Also, Egan, my coworker, just joined the chat. What's up, Egan? What up, Egan? Egan and we got Keith in the house too. Um, but yeah, predictive power score, definitely adding that to the repertoire. I'll add a link to the uh, GitHub documentation in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I would start. I would start with, okay, let me just take my data set as is after doing whatever reasonable amount of cleaning that you need to do, um, fit a random forest, get a baseline result, and then think about how you want to go from there. Uh, have you heard of pie carrot? Anybody here? Um, yeah, I've heard of it. It's the auto ML, right? And it's carrot, but in Python. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's a good way to quickly try to determine uh, a spot check of several different models. So mm-hmm. try to spot check something, see which one has a relatively decent predictive power, and then have that be a baseline, um, and then proceed from there. Perfect, perfect. So I uh, so I started with the linear models and then I was gonna say that I uh, I went on uh, trying uh, the the tree based models and then after that I ended up you know with the stack regressors. So you, that's the approach which I follow. Did you get progressively better and, and better on yeah. the metric? All right. Yeah. That's good. You're moving the right direction, right? So um, just make sure that you're not overfitting or anything like that. Okay. Thank you. I'm yeah. just dumping information about predictive power score. It's cross-validated single feature decision trees using either MAE or F1, weighted F1, depending on the, the Y. So, Very and then nice. it's scaled to between zero and one. So Definitely have to play around with that. Yeah, a better correlation, apparently. Uh, I see, but I don't know if that fully answered your question or if you're more confused than when you joined. Um, but either way, let us know. No, I think I'm good. I got my answer. Yeah. Like, okay. Thank okay, you. Cool. Yeah, definitely. You. Like, if anything comes up in the next half an hour or so, um, you know, we're we're here. So perfect. Feel free to jump in. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, cool. So we got. What's up, everybody else? Egan, Keith, Mark, Carlos. How you guys doing? Doing good. Fantastic. Uh, doing good. Doing real happy to see everybody here, man. Uh, it's getting it getting it popping. I like it. So I actually have a, a question if we're allowed to ask yeah. or put into the chat. No, no, go go yeah. for it, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so great talk. Perfect, perfect. So maybe mine's not specifically on uh like actual data science kind of technical components, but uh Wait, more okay. so more so on the how to get alignment for um different teams who are similar, uh, but you need to get, kind of get these data science processes across. So context I'm, I'm approaching about one year as a data scientist and in my specific role i'm bridging the gap between the engineers and the researchers um 
and getting the cool stats and research work into the engineering hands in a way that's really aligned. And what I've been noticing a lot is that engineering has a lot of different perspectives of like how to structure data. And as a researcher and just doing stats, you know, you want your flat files um, to work with that. And so I guess like how, if you've, you've dealt with kind of like bridging that gap between research and engineering, how to best kind of serve both needs. Are you more skilled at the research side or the engineering side? I would say that, um, <laughs> I would say it's, it's, it's neither. It's more so I'm more skilled in engineering than the, the researchers and I'm more skilled than at statistics and the, and the research than the engineers. Pretty much Hence the why they scientist. put me in this. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a good position to be in. Yeah. Um, everyone else can answer. I have my own response. Yeah, I'll I mean, give after. I mean, you got like, okay, so most engineers are really lazy, right? So if they're not doing something um, in the way the researchers would like it, it's because they're probably defaulting to some um, lazy methodology that they have to get stuff done. This is just my experience. I'm not, don't mean to generalize software engineers out there. Um, but like, what is the misalignment like? To tell me a little bit more on that. Like, so like is engineering, like not everything's going to go into blobs. And yeah, I, I think the best way I can describe it is that, you know, engineers need to be able to query data and pull data in real time. And that requires different structures of the data to ensure that happens. Um, for the analytics side, and that, that's, I'm gonna bunch that into like just the researchers, we don't need our data to be pulled in, in seconds. <laughs> we, can, we can do a SQL query and it'll run in five minutes and we'll be happy. Um, but that's not acceptable for our product. And so we're really happy just having a, our flat file set up and so where that's coming across is that I'm, I'm at a startup. It's very engineering focused first because they're trying to get the product out. Um, and so I have to do a lot of reworking of the data and massaging to get into a flat file for the analytics side. And I think what that really comes out to being is that the data works really well for engineers to get product out, but the data is really not as accessible to the overall org to drive that kind of those data insights. And so that's where I'm trying to figure out how to bridge that gaps where it's both usable by the engineers, but also like anyone in the company can access this data in a, in a very easily, easy fo focused way. So um, you guys are doing analytics and data science on, on live data? Like, I mean, on production data? Like, uh, you guys not have a sandbox? Uh, I'm trying to figure out how much I can talk about for, for my company. Yeah, um, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it like big data and like, like, like volume, crazy volume based thing. Um, but like at the end of the day, like we're a product, we have a web app and like we have information where we collect our own data. Okay. How hard it, would it be to set up just a sandbox for you guys and you can build a pipeline that goes from the raw data, dumps it into whatever sandbox space you guys have for the analytics team. Um, that's how I've seen it done that, uh, last few companies I've okay. been at. I'm sorry. Is that the, I didn't hear that. That wasn't the problem statement in my head. Is that, am I misunderstanding something? So the, the thing is like, I still like, we do have kind of like a dump of the data into, um, into like, uh, into like a, a SQL kind of database we run SQL off of, but the way it's structured, it's still structured and as, as an engineer format, it's just a copy of it that can use SQL on. So I have to do a lot of SQL steps just to pull out data. Um, I think the best way that there's a lot of nested data for things. Can you build out a, a, a pipeline like, like just yeah. a, a, in Python, right? That just automates that whole process, right? Where mm -hmm. anytime new data comes in, it goes through the transformation steps that you've laid out and just gets appended to the table that you have and Perfect. have that run in batch overnight or something. Yeah. Um, awesome. No, that, that, that sounds like a, that, I'm happy to hear that because that, that's what I've been thinking. And then the next step after that is like the kind of concern I'm trying to see is like, how do I prevent having two different sources of truth then? When, you don't when I have a that? second, you don't have a second source of truth. You have a set of functions, whether it be Lambda or something that yeah. will apply to the single source of truth, giving you a derivative source. You, okay. will, you should never trust your output. Your output's irrelevant. What you care yeah. about is like, you built a pipeline and you care about the pipeline health. If it accidentally gives mm -hmm. you garbage one time, no big deal. You just throw it away and yeah. start over. But mm -hmm. what I was hearing you say is like, you're trying to figure out how to translate between the engineer and statistics people 
And all, all I can tell you is if you're in a startup, like that's probably not the problem. Like you mm-hmm. need to be figuring out who the people who are generating tons of value are and bias everything to them. Like whoever the constraint is, whoever the 10X engineer is, like you are making sure that nothing is ever in their way. If yeah. that's, and if the stats people are in their way because they don't know how to deal with non-relational databases or something, then that's where you plug in. You make, you're mm. the person in between the two. But like, yeah. don't, like don't, don't wonder if you should be telling engineers to change their practices to fit the stats people unless the stats people are driving the profit. Like you just mm. gotta figure out who's driving the value and yeah. make sure that they're the ones getting all the bias in their favor. Yeah. And I think what, what I've seen is that both are actually held up pretty high because like they're like a science first company, but also like we need to build it. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I've actually seen, I've mainly seen the other where it's like the engineers drive everything. Um, and so it's been, it's been very interesting trying to navigate that as, as a data scientist who's supposed to bridge this gap. So no, this this yeah. is all very helpful. It's a duality mindset. That's the like the a data scientist is the person that makes that communication happen between technical aspect and the non-technical, even though research is technical. So you have to have a duality mindset, right? And that's the reason yeah. why this position exists and why we get paid so many so much money. Uh is because of, of this. Hey Egan, you getting paid so much money? So much, so much. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, um, yeah, I've I've got some books that might be useful in terms of like leadership philosophy that I definitely think you should check out. Yeah, I would love to. So one of them is the it's uh the self-made billionaire effect. So this book is a quick read and it's not related to data science whatsoever, but what you could draw away is the principles they have laid out in that book in terms of the mindset duality mindset. Um so they co- cover five different dualities that these self-made billionaires hold. uh, And it's extremely applicable to the work you do as a data scientist. So check that one out. The other one is a loon shots by Safi Bacall. And that one, like if you could just just look up like the four Bush, uh, Bush veil rules, they are freaking amazing. Uh, Loon shots, L O O N shots. Ah. Yeah. Loon shots um, by Safi Bacall. And yeah, that book is uh, really, really good. And that's all about uh, communications between literally these two different types of groups. Um, so I think you'll definitely enjoy that. But didn't, didn't really answer your question, but if there's, I'm, I'm happy to dig deeper if you have any further. Yeah, yeah no, I think, I think it's, it's a hard question to answer. It's very abstract. Yeah. So uh this is really helpful just to talk it out and hear other perspectives outside of me and my managers. Yeah. I, think, I would like, yo, go on. I was just going to just, just be careful trying to scale too soon because that can derail you too. Like, mm. like if, if the engineers are spending hundreds of hours a week as a team on like getting queries from four minutes to like four seconds, that might be a waste of engineering time. So just, just be careful scaling too soon, only scale when it hurts. Um, and that's, and I was going to say, I recommend Phoenix project, unicorn project, just to help you understand like the importance of DevOps and like how constraints work. Um, because it sounds like if you're the only person interfacing between stats and engineering, as the organization gets bigger, you're going to become more of a constraint in terms of making sure that these two groups can like interface data correctly. And you don't want to become the constraint either so that's, just, that's just, a really just, good point just be aware of like are you over mature right now are you um you know do you actually know what thing is driving profit are you doing the basics like are you doing the ap testing or are you trying to get to neural networks too soon just yeah just Thank, thankfully you're not asking me thankfully they're not asking me to do neural networks and they're very <laughs> very much aware of, uh, of that but uh but no, you, you definitely bring up a good point. And yeah, I think I think that's been my role for the past month I've been there is just making sure the basics are are set up well for them to to kind of move forward into like the A-B testing, actually doing the predictive side of things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Build out that pipeline, get that sandbox for your researchers and just automate it. What what platform are you using? Uh Google Cloud. Oh, nice. Yeah. You could set up yep. your flow on that really easily. 
automate it and stuff. Harpreet, what was the name of the book you first said? Uh, um, for Loon Shots? Uh, Self-Made Billionaire Effect. Yeah. So, links in the comments. Yeah, links in the comments there. Um, yeah, those books are super, like, I think every day of scientists should read both of those books because it, it touches so closely, like, philosophically to the work that we do. Uh, and then, yes, Carlos says Phoenix Project and Unicorn Project. I recommend Unicorn Project above Phoenix Project because uh, it's more data science-y, but both of those are really good. Yeah, I, I like that I read Unicorn Project first. Yeah. I do like that I read it first. Cool, man. So we got Egan, Keith. How you guys doing? Doing well, thanks. Right on. Right on, man. What's going on? What you guys got planned for the weekend? It's uh, this weekend... It's a long weekend in Canada. We got Monday off because it's Canadian Thanksgiving. Canadian oh, Thanksgiving. Oh, snap. I yes. forgot. I forgot y'all have your own wacky stuff. Sorry, not wacky. <laughs> Just different schedule. It's a little bit different. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to get a, get a whole day to, to do podcast stuff, reading, <laughs> writing. I'm going to a pumpkin patch festival thing tomorrow. That's what I'm doing. I was going to go to the middle of nowhere and get pumpkins. Thank you. Nice. Socially distanced with that? Uh, yeah, I think I'm the only person there, probably. <laughs> going pretty far. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, taking the kid to some pumpkin patches at some point in the future. Hey, how old's your... Uh, I don't even know your kid's name. Jagad. Yeah, he just turned... Five months yesterday. So he's in that cute five month phase. Super uh, cute. S- still doesn't move or anything, which is good because uh, he just sits there and just plops there and just like talking to himself. Going, meh, 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 meh. Oh. Uh, but it's cute, man. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to do a podcast after you have one running around just in circles, jumping on your stuff. Yeah, that's going to be challenging. It'll be cute. Yeah, bring him on the podcast. Everyone wants to see him. <laughs> I'll bring him. Bring him by next time. Yeah. Egan, what are you working on right now? I haven't seen you in like months. It's been like eight months since we did that um that project that didn't go anywhere. This completely got abandoned. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's been it's been a fun twenty twenty. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm working on still the stuff with Fred for the genetic counselors. Um, so I know that, you were involved in that. Yeah, that was that was the one you introduced me to. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that was a nightmare, man. The Docker containers would never work. Oh, it was bad. Um, it was a similar problem to what Mark is facing, where it's like you have people who are using data to generate uh, analysis reports for publishing, and then you have people who are using the same sort of data to configure it for a R shiny application. Um, so balancing the duality there was, it's a real pain in the butt. Um, yeah, that's, that's been my, my jam lately. Especially if like, this is something I think you guys that are in internal data science don't realize, but when you are a consultant, you are like totally relying on client infrastructure. And if your client doesn't have any infrastructure, you're just so doomed. You're just like, okay. Cause it's not like you can use your own cause you have nowhere to port it to. Mm-hmm. So you're doing like, uh, that thing was crazy, man. It's the biggest shiny app I've ever seen. Consulting seems so much fun though, just cause the, the problem statements are constantly changing. Um, but I guess that could also be a pain in the ass as well. Having yeah, so switch all the time. It works like if when you're assigned to a project, is it like you're only on that one project until completion, or do you have like four projects with four different companies happening at once? Entirely depends. Yeah. Egan, what's your setup? Are you dedicated? Mm, so I got I got two projects with Merck. Uh, they they just pulled me on board for the HPV one, um, and then I got the one still with F35. So I'm I'm at three right now. So that'll be quite a doozy uh, on my day-to-day stuff. Yeah, you, you really never know when, when deadlines will change or priorities will shift, or even if you still have funding and you're like, 
Oh gosh. Yeah. We're, uh, I got the email from my client that, uh, the continuing resolution from Congress got through. So we're funded. The agency is funded as the 21st of December. And after that, we'll see if the government shut down. Oh, that's right. You're mostly consulting for government organizations, right? Yeah. Uh, that and like our healthcare is getting bigger. So he mentioned a pharmaceutical client. I just finished a pharmaceutical client. Um, I was doing childhood blood lead work, doing injury prevention, doing um, a few other stuff. Right now I have like just two and I'm transitioning to one. I'm going to be going fully dedicated to a single project. My first time ever. I've never been like embedded before. They're going to like put me inside their team and they're going to try to forget that I'm a consultant and just treat me like one of them. And like, I won't have to like ask my manager to talk to their manager to talk to somebody. I can just talk to the person, which is super new for me. I'm like so used to doing the like hierarchy and like the formality and it's on purpose. It like, it makes things safer. Uh, we don't, let's misunderstanding, but it makes things slower too. Um, I think in DevOps, they call it the square, but uh, okay. yeah, so I'm excited for that. Nice. Hey, I used to work in pharmaceuticals for like five years. As a clinical trial statistician, did not Luckily, enjoy that. We do not do that work. <laughs> that um, was my previous role, and I love it. <laughs> really? Clinical, like, I, I, my background's in healthcare. My yeah. background's in healthcare completely. So, like, I, I love dealing with this. Honestly, you have to be a masochist to work with healthcare data. Um, and I thought it was just because it was so messy, it was so fun to me. Yeah, mine was like from clinical trials, um, so not like healthcare system data, but just like clinical trial data, um, which was I think just like proper academic statistics, like proper design of experimentation and stuff like that. Um, I didn't really enjoy it that much, but I don't know, I just felt like I had to color between the lines too much. I did not like doing that. I feel like I don't uh, have that skill set in terms of just like true science of like, I'm going to plan my experiment. I'm going to plan every caveat of this experiment. And if anything unexpected happens, I have to pause everything and go back to the experiment plan and add addendums. Like I only have ever done science in that technical way, which is really cool that you have. I think it's like a really useful thing. I wish I did. Yeah. I definitely get a deeper appreciation for the entire scientific method and just the design of experiments. But I feel like it'd be more fun if it wasn't such a highly regulated industry and people's lives run on the line. Um, Cause then you have to take it super seriously. Um, you know. I know what if, I mean, if you accidentally like say that a medicine is not effective over placebo and it actually was yeah, too stressful. Yeah. This is why people just go work at Netflix. It's like, Oh, if I recommend a bad movie, no one gets hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like mistakes that don't cost people their lives. That's all good. A little bit of money, whatever. We'll make it back the next quarter. I, just, I just think it's wild though, how much pharmaceutical companies are willing to pay for just descriptive statistics as well. Uh, but the challenge is that making sure those descriptive statistics have nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's like where the challenge is at. That's why they use uh, like R, I mean, not R, but SAS in those industries because they're validated, verified software or whatever. Um, yeah. Well, it always works. Yeah. SAS code from 1980, whatever, still works, run yeah. tomorrow will work. Yeah. Same exact output. And I'm just like, that's such a massive enterprise because the technical debt grows like exponentially in terms of like, oh, like nothing can ever make a mistake. They probably don't even like layer modules. They're just like, oh yeah, we implemented like this gradient descent algorithm and we're never going to change it. We're just going to fork it, copy it and make a second. It's like all their new stuff just also has new foundations because they don't want to risk it. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy to think about. I don't even know how anyone would do that. Yeah, it was not fun. Right on, man. Keith, how's it going? It's going well. I actually came from, uh, before I started getting into data science, I came from chemistry background. Nice. Doing uh, FDA work. So, in, like, when you're colliding chemistry or data science, let's say there's somebody out there who's, like, maybe a master's or PhD in chemistry, and they're trying to transition into data science, but they are looking for a project uh, that kind of combines these two uh, together into something that they could build a portfolio around. What would be an interesting problem statement 
in that area? It would probably have something to do with uh, uh, instrumentation or uh, even laboratory information systems. Okay. Uh, getting lab information systems to work together and communicate with laboratory notebooks and stuff like that. Combining the lab uh, the instrumentation with uh, notebooks and output for reporting. I wonder if there's any open data sets that deal with that. Cause I mean, that would be a really good like project for somebody to do. Cause I think if, if you're transitioning into data science from like a completely unrelated ish field, the best thing you could do is take what you already know and collide it with data science and just make a project because that way you have the knowledge and expertise in one domain to drive you and propel you forward to learn how to apply this particular thing that you're learning to a context you already know that makes any sense. Just sounds like I was saying a bunch of words, but um, I think that's a good way to go about it. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah. So what else is uh, everybody working on? So how long have you guys been in data science? So I guess we'll start. Carlos, you already been on the show, uh, but Mark, how about you, man? How long have you been in data science? For? Uh, it will be uh, one year next month. So nice. uh, pretty excited, but like analytics wise, two years. Nice. What was your background coming into it? Were you coming from like a completely unrelated field? Was all this stuff self-taught? What was your journey like? Uh, it was a little bit of a mixture uh, of both. So uh, I got my MS at Stanford Med studying community health and prevention research. Nice. And I thought I was going to be going to medical school afterwards. Like I was gung-ho pre-med, got in grad school and realized I hate graduate school. <laughs> like I love learning, but like this format's not for me. And at the same time, I was learning R and learning about data. I was like, oh, my God, this is the future of healthcare disparities is going to be in data. I want to get on the ground with this. And so uh, I taught myself Python. Um, I taught myself R to do the stats classes. So I got the research and stats from, from, my, uh, from grad school. And then the Python R kind of self-taught. And I got a first job at a health tech company doing operations. But I forced myself to do data projects on there. So I taught myself Python on the train going from my, my home to, to my office in the city and start implementing Python projects for my workflow and has leveraged that to kind of break into data science. And also I, I picked up a second job doing data, being a data analyst as well. So a lot of just side hustling to, to kind of yeah. break in. I absolutely love that, man. Like I think Carlos, that's part of his journey as well. He was just picking up projects that he could do using R. And that's something that's really important to note is that you could actually do data science work without being a data scientist, right? There's nothing preventing you from using particular methodologies to do your work or particular tech stacks to do your work. Uh, if you don't have the data scientist title, like you can inject some of that stuff in what you're doing now. So are you in California right now? Or are you from? Yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm in California in the Silicon Valley area in nice. Bay area. Is that where so. you're from? Uh, I'm from California, Sacramento. Hey, is... me too. I was born oh, and raised in Sacramento. Sac hey, man, let's I was go. Born, born and raised in Sacramento, man. I went to. Uh... <laughs> That's oh, it, it's a completely different city now. Yeah, like I go back, and I don't even realize it. Like, which, which part of Sacramento are you from? Uh, I lived all over. So I lived in South Sac. I live in. Oak oh Road. shit! I went to Valley High. Oh, oh, you went to Valley High. Yeah, wow. I went to Valley High. Then I went across the street to CRC, and then my. I, yeah, I went to CRC and uh, in Sac City. Too? No shit. CRC dude. and Sac City, and then I dude, transferred to Davis eventually. Yeah, I went to Davis that's, as well. That's, that's wow. That's yeah. small, small world. Okay, I'm probably I, a lot I, older I, than you. I'm like 37, <laughs> so uh, probably. I'm 27, 27. Yeah, so. 10 years older than you, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, but I, I'll, I'll link up with you afterwards because I, I, you have the same uh, last name as one of my friends. Um, uh, Dilpreet Sahoda? No, nah, I don't know him. No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like I'm from South Sac, like born and raised. Like I went to Valley High and grew up yeah. in the neighborhood and went to CRC. As well. So, so where, where I grew up is, so you had Va Valley High, CRC, and the other side, that's where I lived. So I will have probably gone on Monterey trails, but I went to Christian Brothers. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So there's a pizza restaurant on Elk Grove Boulevard, right by 99. Take 99 off like 99 South, XA Elk Grove Boulevard. And on the right-hand side, there's a pizza restaurant, Mount Mike's Pizza. That's my family's pizza restaurant. I've had it for 
Bruh, I went years. there my whole life. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. That is wild. Small world. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Small world. Yeah, I worked at that place since I was 12 years old. And it worked, I, like, even when I came back from like grad school, like I went to grad school in Illinois and I'd come home periodically and I'd just pick up some uh, delivery shifts and mob around town. Yeah. How, how'd you end up in Canada then? That's my question. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, so I went to. Uh, it's a good choice right now, considering current events. <laughs> so after I completed some coursework at Davis, I uh, went to grad school at in Illinois, and uh, lived in Chicago, and just did grad school out there. Then I met my wife. Uh, we met online actually back in 2012, when before online was like cool. Uh, and I just started visiting her and I graduated. She was already well-established up here in Canada, um, in Winnipeg. So she coincidentally, she went to grad school in Chicago as well. Uh, she studied to become an optometrist, moved back, was already well-established as an optometrist here in Canada. Um, when I left grad school, like I had like a job as an actuary and, um, it just didn't make sense for her to uproot and come back to the States. So I was like, all right, well, let me try to move to Canada. And I was looking for jobs in actuarial sciences at the time, but there were no jobs in Winnipeg in actuarial sciences, but there was a job as a biostatistician. And I was like, oh, I could probably do that job. Um, same skill set, just different application. And so I worked. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of confidence, man. I would not think that I would have any bio stats. Like I have no, bio, I have no biology. I thought you were all math and all stats. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know shit. I still don't know shit about biology. I, I, just, I had to learn it. I had to learn it while I was on the job. But it was just all. It was all statistics. I could still design an experiment, right? I could still talk to the scientists and figure out what it was that their primary endpoint was. And once we have a primary endpoint, all right, cool. This is how we're going to design the experiment to test that. And yeah, you don't need to know biology to be a biostatistician. Nobody knows that. By the way, nobody yeah. knows it's true. I thought biostatistics. I, I didn't was know like that either. So much biology. <laughs> no. Like we have people on our team with like PhDs and that stuff, and they're like, "Oh yeah, like I did protein folding at, as a biostatistician before this," and I was like, "Proteins fold?" Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. I definitely picked up a shit ton about biology along the way, just working with the scientist, uh, learning a lot about viruses and shit like that for sure. Uh, but Come save us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my company is one of the company. Well, my former company, I haven't worked there in years. Uh, well, not years, like two, three years, but they're working on a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, so, yeah. I'm happy to hear that every country just has like seven people all working on it. It's like seven companies. Just everybody's on this thing. Every time I get stressed out about it, I'm just like, well, we have the most brilliant people and the most amount of money ever. Yeah. Like, behind this thing so this is like a human species like project and i think we're gonna i think we'll figure it out yeah yeah my cousin works at eli Lilly. he's a technical writer there and he said they're going hard on the covid trials like they're getting shit pushed through real quick um so hopefully get some sorted out soon uh, not too quick right uh, <laughs> <laughs> stay stay cozy at home um but yeah, it'll still take time just because going through trials and shit like that. This is not related at all, but uh, I forgot. Um, so some guy reached out to me asking about um, some help and mentorship. And I said, hey, I hope you saw my post. Like, you guys got to come visit this open office hours. Blah, blah, blah. I've been posting with this open office hours for like three days already. Yeah. And I said that he couldn't make it because he's in India. So it's like 3 a.m. for him. But I said I would ask his question for him and then we would, I would make sure he got it. So, um, I'll do that really quick now. Yeah. Um, so he's a system engineer. He has a few years of experience. Before that, he was a data analyst, not doing too much stuff. He wants to do more data science, but it's not that he's not getting interviews. It's that he doesn't really know what he should be saying in interviews. So like assuming his resume is good and everyone's happy to talk to him, the prep of like, how do I talk about this in an intelligent way that's not over people's heads? That's where he's not really figuring things out. So I guess yeah. the question then is like, yeah, how do you how do you do a data science interview with someone who's not technical and also sound competent but not overwhelming? I mean, how do you end up in a data science interview with somebody who's not technical? Um, so that's that would be my question. Okay, uh, sorry, ignore that part. I see, yeah. That's an HR screen, whatever. You're yeah. technical. 
Same yeah. question. So, I mean, I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go for it, man. I was about to say, like, for, for like interviews I've gone through, because I just went through, I, I got laid off with this whole interview process not too long ago, um, is that you'll, you'll probably interview, like, who are non-technical, like, stakeholders who interact with the, the data science team. So maybe it's, like, customer success or, like, some business, business unit that they want to make sure, like, you interact well with them. And I think that the thing, the key thing that, that helps at least me is that I talk to people who are not into data science about my projects or about what I'm interested in to just get the practice and the reps and then read their body language. Are their eyes glazing over? If they, if they are, all right, don't say that to non-technical people um, and like test it out with different things. And then I think the other thing is um, instead of focusing on kind of like the technical problem, kind of focus on the value problem. So like, I'm doing this technical thing to solve this problem. Um, and so if you focus the conversation on not the how you got there, but like the kind of overarching concepts to like drive value, I think that's what the non-technical people are looking for is like, how can I use this data? That's the magic that you do behind there, right? But like, how does that equate to value to me and like meeting their needs? Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. Right. And, you don't need to go into detail about all the math, especially if you know who you're talking to is not going to understand it, then what's the point? So there's. Well, I think people have this idea that you got to be super impressive and that's, I'm not sure. What is impressive is being able to explain something super complex and difficult in such a way that the person who is hearing you explain it walks away feeling like, Oh shit, I complete, I could be a data scientist now. I fucking get this shit. Right. That is impressive using a bunch of big words trying to confuse your audience speaking in an unclear manner uh that is a mark of a person who probably doesn't know what they're talking about fully right something i've noticed too is like when people do know what they're they're talking about if you start off really simple they'll funnel down and ask you more and more complicated questions yep and that's helpful on both ends because when the interviewer gets to learn like where's your limit at for knowing this and then you get the chance to say when you get to that limit, I actually don't know that. And you can turn that around, like, what are your thoughts? And that's actually helped me kind of get pretty far in interviews as well. Yeah, and a magic phrase you can in, insert at any point you feel the temptation of getting technical is just pause and say, I can dig deeper into this. I can go into as much detail as you would like. Just, just let me know, right? I think that's important. The meta, like the meta interview, it's like I'm doing an interview to answer your questions, but also we're doing this interview as a performance. So let's make sure we're on the same page in the performance before I continue with my lines. I think that's a really good point. Very good good analogy. Very good analogy. Yeah. Um, So yeah, you could tell him that this will be posted on the podcast and on YouTube um, on Sunday. He could listen to that response. And if he wants more guidance, you could always sign up for data science dream job, dsdj.co forward slash artists 70 Kyle is giving us 70% off for the course registration. What do you get as part of Data Science Dream Job? Well, you get to interact with me like this three to four times a week. I, will, I teach classes once a month there. Um, there's an active Slack community, so I can uh, answer any questions you have on that. Not only me, but there's a bunch of other mentors. We've got John Sebastian, Lediona, uh, Chris. I miss teaching, for yeah. real. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm teaching a class tomorrow on, um, on, what was the topic? <laughs> I've been working on this, I've been working on this presentation all week. And like the, t- the topic is escaping me, uh, how to do a, how, how to actually make an analysis, how to actually like plan your workout. And yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, because believe it or not, a lot of people, like when they get a data set data, they're just like, fuck, I don't know what to do. Like I'm just stunned into inaction. All right, cool. Now we got a blueprint for you. You can figure that out exactly. Is that really true? I I worry that people get a data set and they just like open it up and they're like, okay, Y on X, blah, 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 throw things at it. And they like don't pause. That's interesting to hear that people are shocked and they don't know what to do. I'm worried that people do too much too soon. In my experience, I mean, we've had 2,500 plus mentees and the most common theme I've seen is people just do not know how to start. They're just so interesting. Yeah. They're just too scared to start because they don't want to make a mistake. So they're so fearful of making a mistake that they just prefer not to act and prefer guidance. Um, but yeah, for this uh, course I'm teaching tomorrow, it's just like a blueprint 
on how to proceed at a high level through your project. Cool. All right, guys. Well, that's it for today. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. Really appreciate you guys coming on and, and spending an hour with me. If you're listening on the podcast, the link to the YouTube will be up. So if you want to see all these exceedingly handsome gentlemen, you can do that on YouTube. Um, and keep an eye out on the podcast. Got some great episodes coming up next week. Um, take care. Have a good evening. And we'll see you all around. Peace. Thanks, man. Have a good one all. Bye. Yeah.